So Christoph's going to come up and, and, and unpack it for us, and we're going to read uh, the whole of Philemon, which is the 25 verses. So uh, let's, let's read it together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, Aristocrus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Folks, let's pray. Lord, we get to hear uh, a good deal in our lives these days. Uh, we live in a noisier culture than the world has ever known. Give us a, a stillness of heart now to pay attention to you and what you're wanting to say to us through your word here this morning. Help us to understand it and take it to heart. Amen. Amen. How are you doing? Just looking to see what kind of response I'm getting to that. People are sort of smiling nervously. 
Um, maybe you're maybe you're a bit tired and in need of refreshment. I, I for the last well, well, most of my life so far, I have lived bounded to term time, if you know what I mean by that. So when you're a kid or a student, there are terms that you're tied to. When you're a parent of children who are term time, again, you feel very locked in to, to the times of year that, that are dictated by academic terms. I find uh, this term, because, because of this thing that Easter does where it moves, is anybody getting fed up with Easter moving? Yeah? I, uh, whenever I become a politician and run for office, this is going to be the first thing on my, uh, on, you know, my first, uh, let's, let's fix a date for Easter. Let's put it at the end of March and keep it there. So this is a very long term. So uh, I noticed last Sunday was Easter Sunday last year. So a full three extra weeks to run. So all of that to say uh, it's possible that a lot of us are feeling a little bit tired, stretched, possibly. That's a superficial kind of a, a tiredness I'm talking about. There, there, are, there are deeper kinds of uh, feeling tired, feeling jaded, feeling disillusioned. So I'm going to assume today that I'm not alone when I say that I could do with some refreshment some renewal in, in my life. A bit like a garden that's been dead for months over the winter. Uh, we're waiting for a spring, waiting for signs of new life, waiting for something to, to come and refresh our hearts and our souls. Actually, that's what Paul talks about. You probably won't have seen it. It, it may not jump out at to you as the first dynamic in this short letter that we've read, but twice in this letter, Paul talks about refreshment. And I'm praying this morning that God will use this wee letter to bring some refreshment to each one of us. Colin's already said, we, if you're a regular worshiper with us, you'll know that we have spent most of this springtime looking at the book of Colossians. Uh, we saw there a couple of things, really, I think I could boil it down to. One is that Jesus... Um, because of what he's done, he is and he gives us enough. In him we're enough. He's defeated every, every power that is over us. He's fulfilled the law that stands against us. If we're in Jesus, we have and we are enough. That's kind of the first big idea that we saw in Colossians. But then in the, the second half of our series, we saw Paul push on uh, from that he said basically that if we're in Christ, then we have died with him, we've been raised with him, and we're now living a new resurrection kind of a life. You might remember some of this. This resurrection life, Paul says, makes a difference in the church, in our home, and in our workplace. And finally, last week, we talked about it making a difference in, in the world, in, our, in all our dealings with all people. I've, I've loved preaching Colossians. I really have enjoyed it. I hope God has spoken to you and uh, encouraged you somewhere uh, along the way in that journey. It has some huge claims in it. And as I come to the end of that book, I can't help but wonder, is Paul right? Can 
the life that we have in Jesus Christ actually change real life? Does the gospel make a difference? Does the resurrection of Jesus and our new life with him make a difference in our Monday to Sunday living? Be great if it did, wouldn't it? Maybe that's where some of the refreshing that we need would come from. Why don't we this morning read this, this short letter of Colossians as a bit of a case study, a bit of a, a real-life application of everything that Paul has taught in Colossians. In, Paul, in Colossians, Paul's been uh, presenting this incredible resurrection life. Let's see if this could be a worked example for us. This, says Paul, as he writes this short letter to his friend Philemon, this is the difference that the gospel could make in a life. As we look at this short letter, we're going to notice just a couple of things. We're going to notice, first of all, that we're refreshed when we see people respond to the gospel. And secondly, that we're refreshed when we see people live out the gospel. We're refreshed when we see people first respond to the gospel, but we're then refreshed as we see them continue to live it out. Let's get stuck into this short letter. Who is Philemon? You might never have heard of him. Some people in the room have heard of him, and they heard of him from they were the youngest age because they grew up in churches that made you learn the books of the Bible. So even if you didn't know anything about him, you knew his name. So Philemon was one of those mysterious names on that list. Uh, by the way, calling it a book seems like a bit of a stretch, doesn't it? I mean, it's one of those one-pagers um, in the Bible. I had a look at it, and I thought it sort of reminded me of GCSE English. Uh, I don't know if you were ever given a letter-writing exercise in school. As a teenage boy, when the, the teacher gave me a letter-writing exercise, I kept it pretty brief didn't give a whole lot. You know, it had, it had a, an address at the top and a, yours sincerely at the bottom, but there wasn't a lot there. Just, well, Philemon, the, the, Paul, the letter Paul's written to Philemon is not all that long. It's a personal letter. Paul's writing it from a prison in Rome, and he's sending it to his friend in Colossae. That's why we're dealing with these two letters together. Who is Philemon? Well, Paul's met him before. He will have met him somewhere in the countryside as he traveled through that part of what's modern-day Turkey, establishing churches. And we're not sure exactly how they met. We're not told about it anywhere else in the New Testament. We're not told about it in this letter or in Colossians. It doesn't really matter. What does matter is that Philemon responded to the gospel that Paul was preaching. And that refreshed Paul. It always does. There's nothing more exciting for a pastor or a youth ministry leader or a Sunday club teacher than to see somebody under your care get the gospel and respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ. And it turns out that for uh, Philemon, he really did put his faith into practice. As soon as he started to follow Jesus, he invited people into his home. He gathered with them for, to read the Bible, to pray together, to worship, 
to have meals together, to celebrate the sacraments together. He's one of the church, the home church leaders in the city of Colossae. That's what we learn about Philemon. And I'm sure it would have been wonderfully refreshing for those young Christians in Colossae invited for the first time into Philemon's home, into a family of people who together were following Jesus. That can be a wonderfully refreshing thing. Maybe you can remember it at stages along your journey where you first joined in with a group of people who are following Jesus. Philemon was a man whose entire life was transformed by the gospel and watching this transformation over the years had really encouraged and excited Paul. Don't don't take my word for it. Look at verses four to seven. Paul tells his friend, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. If you compared that to what Paul had been saying to the whole church in Colossae, you'd see a lot of overlap. Paul's saying the same roughly to Philemon as he said to that whole church. He said it to a whole group of people, but now he's saying it to one guy, a friend of his, Philemon. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Isn't that what we were thinking about last week in our final uh, look at the book of Colossians? Paul wanted all the believers in that city to live the resurrection out in the world before their neighbors, to take every opportunity to share Jesus with outsiders. So there's this remarkable consistency with what Paul uh, prays for the whole church in Colossae, but also what he, what he wants for his friend Philemon. We're thinking here this morning about how much Philemon has encouraged Paul or refreshed him. Look at verse 7. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. A lot of the good words are in there, aren't they? Joy, encouragement, refreshment. All of these, Paul says, I get these from you, brother. Isn't that brilliant? Wouldn't it be great if people were saying this about us? She is such a refreshing presence in my life. I just love being around him. I feel so refreshed. Wouldn't it be great if people around us didn't feel left out or put down or cheap or worthless? Wouldn't it be great if we had the Philemon factor, if we were able to lift people up and encourage them, leave them feeling refreshed? Let's pray for more of that in each of our lives. So Paul, we know. Philemon, we've just been talking about. There's a third character we need to know if we're going to understand this letter. Onesimus. He has been a slave in Philemon's household. Now, I want you to use your imagination here for a moment, okay? Let's see if we can get ourselves a little bit into Onesimus' shoes. He's a slave in Philemon's household, so he's used to seeing Christians, okay? 
they're coming into the, the home all the time, these guys who'd started to worship at Philemon's place. I don't know, maybe, they, maybe these Christians were an encouragement to a lot of people, maybe to each other. Let's imagine that for Onesimus, they weren't, at least not in the first moment. What were they? They were extra work, weren't they? You're the slave in the household. These guys show up every Sunday and trash the place. So for Onesimus, he's the guy who gets to put the furniture all back, hoover up, do the dishes. That's what these early Christians mean initially to Onesimus. Let's, let's keep imagining this here for a moment. Let's say that Onesimus didn't enjoy being a slave. That doesn't feel like too much of a stretch to imagine that. Let's imagine he doesn't enjoy being a slave and he maybe particularly doesn't enjoy being a slave around a community of people who go on about how they've been set free, how Jesus of Nazareth has come and has turned everything around and changed everything and set them free. So he's a bit hacked off. And one day he reaches peak bitterness, peak frustration, and so he takes off. And he takes off, not, not with empty hands, but he takes a bit of stuff with him, a bit of property, maybe a bit of money, something that he can use to start his new life, finances escape. So he's a runaway slave. Now, where do you go if you're a runaway slave in the Roman Empire? Well, you go to the place where a lot of runaway slaves went. You go to Rome, big city. Lots of uh, transient populations, people moving through it all the time. The, if you're new somewhere, the place you want to be new is in the place where loads of other people are new too. Nobody notices a new face in Rome. So Onesimus has run away from Colossae. He's taken some of his master's wealth and he's got himself to Rome. And he wants to go underground, stay out of the road. That's all very well, except if God doesn't want you to be underground and to keep you out of the road. So something very remarkable happens, and we're not told how it happens. Onesimus gets to meet Paul. I don't know. Did Onesimus have to do time as well? Did he get caught? Did he end up in a, in a Roman jail? Did he somehow hear about Paul and, and go to visit him in jail? We don't know how it happened, but we know again the outcome of Onesimus meeting with Paul. Onesimus now becomes a Christian. This slave who'd run away from a Christian household because he had had it up to the back teeth of serving in that kind of an environment now becomes a Christian. Look at verse 10. Paul grows to love this runaway slave. He calls him my son, Onesimus. When Paul calls you his son, no, yes. When Paul calls you his son, quite often he means you're somebody I led to Christ. You're not my actual son, but you're my son in the faith. I, I led you to Jesus. He talks in verse 11 about the transformation in Onesimus' life, and he uses a pun the, the name Onesimus means useful. So Paul, writing to Philemon, he says, Philemon, this slave, he used to be useless. 
for you, he was useless. But actually now, he's starting to live up to his name. He has become useful to me and to you. This runaway slave transformed. And the whole experience has served to refresh this old man, this old prisoner's faith. Paul himself's encouraged by Onesimus. We've talked about uh, Philemon. We've talked now about Onesimus. Both of them have come to faith in Jesus, either through or in proximity to the ministry of Paul. And both of them have brought him joy and refreshment. There are people sitting here with us this morning who've come to faith in Jesus Christ in recent times, in the last few months, in the last number of years. It doesn't really matter. If you're one of them, I just want to tell you, you're a huge encouragement, a huge encouragement to the rest of us. You bring us joy and you refresh us. One of the most exciting things for an old timer like me is to see somebody new come into the family of God, a new brother, a new sister in Christ. And the same is true of, of the younger guys in the, the congregation. I don't, I don't just mean people from outside who, who join the family. There's something just wonderful about seeing our younger people uh, grow up, our, our teenagers who, who worship with us now. And for us to see your faith, your life in Jesus, that's a huge encouragement to, to the rest of us. I, I'm, I'm heading for 40 years of walking with Jesus. And there's some guys here who can double me and add some. It's brilliant when we see either a, a person join the family or a younger person grow in the family. Can I say a word to all of you who are new to your life in Christ? Don't allow us old timers to bore you. to quench your spirit, to slow you down or to drain your joy. You keep going further up, further in, and you see God will use you to draw the rest of us behind you. God can use those who are responding to the gospel to refresh to refresh those around them. Okay, folks, we've established what the, the background to this letter. Paul's writing to Philemon about Onesimus. We've taken time to catch the backstory. Where's the drama here? What, what's Paul actually wanting to see happen? What's this letter all about? Well, one day Onesimus makes a decision in Rome and he says, I'm going to head for home. We don't know how long he's been away, but he, he turns his, his mind and his heart back towards Colossae and he says, I'm going to go home. And that's a dangerous thing to do because if you're a runaway slave in the Roman Empire, you possibly face a death penalty. 
This is no small thing that Onesimus is deciding to do. He's going to go and see if he can live out the life of Jesus in the context where he was first made aware of Jesus. Paul steps in to, to help him. He wants to pave the way for Onesimus uh, to go back to Colossae by writing a letter to his friend uh, Philemon. And Paul finds himself here, I think, in a very difficult situation. He's asking for reconciliation where a relationship is broken. He's asking Philemon to live out the gospel. You see, that's a second way that the gospel refreshes us. It refreshes us when new people or, or young people respond to the gospel for the first time, but it refreshes us even more at an even deeper level when we see people continue to live in the gospel in the face of difficult circumstances. We're continually refreshed when people live out the gospel. How does Paul go about asking Philemon to, to live out the gospel? He says, verse 12, I'm sending him, uh, that is Onesimus, back to you. Then verse 17, welcome him as you'd welcome me. He says, verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. That's what he's asking for. Welcome him as a brother. It's a really tall order. I've already said that uh, Philemon, by every legal standard, has the right to, to prosecute his runaway slave, to have him punished, put in prison, or worse. So what Paul asks for here is a big deal. But he's, he's asking for more than that. He's asking for more than don't punish him. He's saying, I want you to change his status to upgrade him from a slave to a brother. Take this slave, free him, and make him a member of your family. He's saying, take every social convention and turn it on its head because that's what the gospel does. It's like Paul, we said here, this is like a case study of what he taught in the letter to the Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 11 of Colossians, Paul said, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and Christ is in all. Welcome him, not as a slave, but as a brother, Paul says. It's interesting what Paul does here. He knows that that's a, a difficult thing he asks, so he contributes himself to the, the cost of this reconciliation. I don't know if you noticed that. Look at verse 18. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. What Paul does here is amazing. Absolutely amazing. He puts his money where his mouth is. He puts the gospel into motion. You see, Paul always understood the gospel. You can see this throughout his writings. Paul always understood the gospel as sinful people having a debt before God that they cannot pay. You'll see that time and time again 
in Paul. So for example, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19, he describes there the work of Jesus on the cross in these terms. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Paul spent his life preaching the message, there's a price to pay for human beings to be made right with the living God. But praise God, Jesus has paid it. That's why it's the gospel. That's why it's good news. There is a price. He never downplays the price. He never diminishes. But he says, Jesus pays it for us. What Philemon does, sorry, Paul does in this letter to Philemon, is he lives out the gospel. He clothes himself in it and he puts it into motion. He puts himself in the place of Jesus and he says, in effect, I, I'll absorb the consequences. That stuff that, that Onesimus did to you, Philemon, that, that running away, that cost to you, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Philemon, if there's a price to see Onesimus reconciled to you, it's mine now. I'll pay it. I'll sort that out. It's just brilliant, isn't it? What he does. Does your heart good? Folks, there's something I want you to notice about this letter. Paul doesn't talk about the cross of Jesus Christ anywhere in it. Not, not his death or his resurrection. Um, I think it's the only one of his letters. I haven't had a chance to check that, but I read that this week. It's the only one of his letters where he doesn't talk about the cross. It's not an oversight. How can Paul write a letter and not talk about the cross of Jesus Christ? It's because he's putting it into practice. Everything he's asking for, saying and doing is the cross in motion. The gospel with skin on. He's made himself the place where Onesimus and Philemon can be reconciled to God and to each other. Paul's asked Philemon to be reconciled to Onesimus. And as we've just noticed, he's contributed to that himself. He said, here's what I'll do to make that possible. But he doesn't demand it or try to force it. Look at verse 8. He says there of this reconciliation, I could be bold and order you what you should do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Look at verse 14. I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Eugene Peterson reflects on Paul's wise pastoral work with Philemon. He knows that goodness cannot be forced. He knows that virtue cannot be squeezed out of a person. He knows that no amount of pressure either mental or physical or emotional, can increase or stimulate or develop the life of faith in Christ. It is up 
to Philemon. Paul will not define the way in which he must express his love. Philemon's response must be absolutely free, not forced, but voluntary. Folks, do you see now what Paul has done in this short letter? How he's gone about brokering this reconciliation between Paul, between Philemon and Onesimus. He doesn't demand anything. Doesn't try to force anything. He's reminded Onesimus how much his first response to the gospel refreshed his heart and refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Philemon, God used you in the past to refresh hearts. Do it again. Keep refreshing hearts. Show me that it's still making a difference in your life. Take back this slave. Be reconciled to him. Refresh my heart in Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, we need refreshment here at Kirkpatrick Memorial these days. We need it in all sorts of ways. I, I, I have no idea of some of the ways in which we need God's refreshing work among us. But some of us need it in this particular way. This way that Paul is writing about in this letter to Philemon. We need reconciliation. I say that for two reasons. One is simply as a, a statistical reality. In a community of this size, there will always be a considerable number of people who are in broken relationships with others. I don't doubt that, that we have broken relationships in this community. But I say it for another reason. It's because I know that there are relationships here that are far from what they could and should be in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're falling so far short of what the gospel offers us. Wouldn't it be great if we could take a step forward? Move into reconciliation here this morning. What is it that Paul actually asks for from Philemon? He asks for an openness. That's enough to get us started. The setting aside of anger and of hurt, the setting aside of those things which continue to act as a barrier, welcome him. That's what he says. Welcome him. And he leaves the rest to Philemon.
if you do, says Paul, it'll refresh my heart. If we do, it'll refresh all of our hearts and this community. Let's pray.